Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Anyway, she goes to bed. I open up a box out of apartments. I light up. I pour myself a cognac. And I watch the 14 fists of McCluskey. What a picture. Yo, homie, is that my briefcase? And start asking the right fucking questions. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Rum and Rant or... In Australia right now, roast and rant. It's very early in the morning, so it's coffee time. Uh, thank you so much for subscribing to One Heat Minute Productions Patreon podcast. Increasingly, we're having great conversations here about all sorts of movies. And what I wanted to do is rather than enlist two of my great friends to talk on any number of my other shows, um, I just threw it out there to talk about one of my favorite movies of all time, um, probably in a little kind of mini series about it because I don't think truly, I don't think that there's any possible way that you can cover this movie in any qualitative way without many conversations about it. So I've enlisted two of my great friends, uh, the great Jordan Harper now author who's got two books out in six months, less than six months. Me and Cormac McCarthy, we're having the same kind of year. <laughs> what a year it is. And uh, my great friend, Jen Johans from Watch With Jen podcast, great film critic, filmintuition.com. Go check out like more writing than is humanly possible on cinema. Hello, Jen. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. So today we're talking about a film that we all three of us have loved. And I actually forgot that we hadn't podcasted about this movie, but it was just a catch up we had with our pandemic movie club where we watched no country for old men. And then we talked about it. And then one of my deep regrets was like, I didn't record that. That was great. <laughs> it, was, it was like one of our best conversations we ever had. <laughs> so I really wanted to talk about what is probably sacri- sacrilege to say, but maybe my favorite movie of 2007 over David Finch's Zodiac, which is, 
the Coen Brothers adaptation of Cormac McCarthy's book, No Country for Old Men. And I just think that every single frame of this movie is perfect. Every time I watch it, I am blown away about the details. Uh, every new side character and what they say, you know, beer leads to more beer or, you know, it's the dismal tide. Like it's not even, I've gone so far beyond the, the, the holy trinity of this movie with Tommy Lee Jones, Ed Tom Bell, Javier Bardem's Anton Sugar and Josh Brolin's Luella Moss that I, yeah, it's just a special movie. What did you guys think of it? Jordan, I know you're a huge fan of obviously Cormac McCarthy and this film, but when you saw it, what was your reaction to it? Had you experienced the book before you saw it? Uh, yeah, I had. I had read the book, and I I love the book. I th I think it's it's um, you know sort of the apogee of of, of a thing that I, I I love to see people you know not transcend the genre of a thriller or a crime th thriller, but embody it to this fullness of uh, of telling this amazing story while also grappling with these enormous questions that Cormac McCarthy grapples with. And I I walked into this movie. Um, believing as i still do that the coen brothers are really underrated as filmmakers <laughs> yes. um and and walking out of it um thinking that they they really deserve to be in the conversation as the greatest filmmakers of their generation um yeah. at least american and i don't know if it's like the fact that they insist on being funny a lot of the times that keeps them out of that conversation that that they get pushed into like a quirky box but you want to and I mean, there's a million things to talk about in this uh, movie. Just rewatching it, uh, finishing it this morning. I just, it, there is every move, every cut, every sound, every laugh is yes. intentional and uh, and masterful. I just like, uh, you know, just throw two random things. Uh, I noticed this time just how beautifully they, they compact the violences when Shigur uh, invades the hotel room with the, the cartel guys. And, you know, he shoots somebody and then in the shattered glass, the, the, the mirror of the bathroom swings open so you can see the hand of somebody hiding in the shower. And you don't need a separate cut. You don't need a zoom in. It's just there it is. You see it. He sees it. And we're in. And I mean, in a totally different direction, you talk about the amazing performances. And uh, this is maybe my favorite Garrett Dillahunt outside of. Yes. <laughs> Hell's Bells. Hell's Bells. Are, differences. You know, Jen's whoa favorite differences. line. Yes. Whoa differences. Jen's favorite line. Whenever, yes. whenever there's controversy, I just want to say, for the fans, whenever there's any kind of controversy, uh, Jen is very quick to pull. Whoa differences. Uh, and I, I love that she does. I love that it's a go-to. It's so good. <laughs> There's yeah. a Jed um, Ayers loves it too. Oh my gosh, oh. Jed Ayers is Garrett Dillahunt in this movie. Like, can I, we I just can we say right. that? That's, that's right. That's pretty fair. I'm there. glad you brought up the shower because this time around, I was realizing the only moment of kindness that he has, or if you can call it kindness, that Shigur has, is he closes the. Um, shower curtain for a moment before he kills the guy and that's the only time we see any kind of empathy i don't know if it's a professional respect or what it is or if it's just so he doesn't get the blow the yeah, blowback that, that's, the how I've, that's i how think how I, that's what it is that's how but i've always seen it that he fascinating just, he literally and figuratively closes that guy's curtain you know there's a moment you guys had said this to me and i actually saved it i didn't want to mention it we've been talking back and forth in preparation for talking on this there's a scene in that great 
um, motel and Shigur goes into his room first and he goes into room 130 and Josh Brolin's well and Moss goes into room 138 and then eventually 38 behind it to retrieve the case yeah. that he's stuffed into the, uh, do you have a map of the rooms? <laughs> it's got two double beds. Um, but he goes into that room first and I'd never noticed he walk when he walks into the room, he opens his bathroom cause he's, he wants a room that has an identical layout. Yes, mm-hmm. he does. To 138. Mm-hmm. I never, like, I, of course, I've watched this movie a thousand times, but in this particular moment, I hadn't, like, cottoned on to this specific mm-hmm. touch where he looks around the corner and he looks around the door and he's just, and then he walks over to the cupboard and he puts his hands against the cupboard to see how thick the wall is because he knows that if I was hiding in this room, I would hide there. So I'm going to walk in and he blows that guy away. Then he blows away the cupboard because he knows that if I shoot through with my shotgun, it's going to, it's going to wipe out if anyone is actually hiding there. And then the guy reveals himself in the bathroom and obviously gets blown away and all those other events that happen. But just that touch, there's a beautiful, again, one of the best shots. Like blood simple. Yeah. Yeah. He just goes and touches his hands together and between this really thin, crappy hotel, cheap ass processed wood. And he just kind of touches (laughs) it and is like, yeah, I know this will, I could blow this away. Um, with my gigantic shotgun with a silencer on it, but it's just like he just like yep, yeah, he just tests, gauges the wood, and then enacts yeah. his plan. It's um, yeah, I I I was equally blown away. Jen, tell me about the first time you saw No Country for Old Men. I watched it three times in the theater. I was completely blown away by this movie. I remember I I don't think I wrote about it the first time. I I took notes like as soon as I was done. Um, this is actually the first piece I ever wrote that was quoted in the guardian. So it was the first thing I wrote that ever kind of got some traction was writing about this movie and, you know, what it meant to me as an American, because I was getting quoted, you know, about this country's hard on people and also what it meant about masculinity and the way that Shiger and the Brolin character Llewellyn are kind of like very linked and so I loved um, seeing that play out over the three viewings. And I noticed every time I went back, I saw something different. I think the sound design, the second time I saw it was like what really stood out, the thwap that yeah. you hear, you know, like when uh, Anton does what he does, but also just some of the weird choices that the Coens make in linking those characters, like the fact that hold still is yeah. a line that is spoken both by Shiger and Llewellyn very early on, if not the first thing they, we hear them say, or it's one of the first things. And just uh, the way that sound is used really came through the second time. The third time I saw it was really funny because it was after it had just won Best Picture. And I went with my dad and you know the film ends and there was just like dead silence in the theater and i was seeing it in an area with a lot of senior citizens and so this woman stood up and just loudly started shouting this one best picture do you believe it this one best picture this and she just kept going on and on and like getting like working herself up and everybody was kind of walking around her like don't disturb the crazy woman and my dad is kind of one of those guys and so we start passing her and he's like so jen this is the third time you see it because you love it so much <laughs> and this woman just like glares at me and i thought oh my god i'm gonna get into a fight about no country for old men 
and you know it's the closest i think i've ever felt to shit could happen right now <laughs> yeah, i'm gonna <laughs> find no a senior country. citizen yes <laughs> it's just ed's dad that's, that's who she yeah. is ed's dad just sitting there how you doing <laughs> you're, you're looking at it you know she, she's she's got some wild cats and she lives alone on a, on a frontier she's not she's not into something um anything kind of highfalutin and exciting um and then contemplative at the same time yeah, yeah. I, I i've told this story many times i i had a i had a wild couple of days in the cinema uh, in which i saw there'll be blood no country for old men michael clayton and the assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford in two wow. days wow wow at Sydney's main theater, I went, it was on a holiday from university. Uh, like it was like a break, uni break. I went along and I caught this double feature or quadruple feature over a couple of days. And I went, I ca movies can't do anything else. I'm not sure <laughs> what else movies can do after today. Uh, cause like I'd, I'd had my first day was, um, was assassination and, uh, was assassination of Michael Clayton. And then the next day was, there'll be blood in no country. And I was, I walked out like a, with post-traumatic stress. Like I walked out, I was just bewildered. Uh, it was amazing. So I, I loved it from the very minute I saw it. And I think I've always thought that it's perfect. And I, Jordan, to go back, the Coens are the, probably the best American filmmakers. I don't, I, I think it's in art. In my mind, it's almost inarguable that they're the best American filmmakers. They pound for pound, film for film. Like it's, their resume is unbelievable to have raising arizona fargo big lebowski no country all on your resume all of miller's crossing miller's crossing. miller's crossing oh my god miller's crossing it is wild it's wild well yeah. and not only that but they they write direct and edit and produce all of them they are well they're working in tandem but it just makes me mad like <laughs> Uh, you know, somebody who dedicates my life to one of those four things that like, I mean, to have lines, I talk about Miller's Crossing, which for years and years and years was my favorite Coen Brothers movie, probably supplanted yes. by this, but, you You're know, just neck for, and neck for me too. Yeah, yep. I, I, I have moments like that with the cons, which I, I love this movie. I have a tattoo of Anton Chigurh on my body. We can get into that. But when I watch The Big Lebowski, I don't feel more joy. <laughs> and I'm watching The Big Lebowski <laughs> and then I watch Fargo and I'm like, this is the best movie ever made. I, I don't know what to do. You know, just these these throwaway lines from Miller's Crossing, like, uh, so you want to kill him for starters. Um, like, just, you know, little things like that, that, that that they just do. And then they go and they they direct and they sound, you know, they produce, they edit under a pseudonym. Like they, the-, the, the Roderick Jane. Right. <laughs> And, and that they can do funny movies and that they can mm -hmm. do, you know, genre send-ups and they can do this and they can do Fargo and they can do the Big Lebowski. It's, um, it's unreal. It's absolutely unreal. Yeah. It's, they were royalty where I'm from in Minnesota. Oh. You know, we were so oh. proud of them. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to talk really quickly because I remembered this conversation. Um, there's a terrific uh, friends of the show the light, the fuse podcast boys who do the mission impossible podcast have like one of the best interviews with Robert Elswit that exists. Robert Elswit, the great cinematographer of a whole bunch of Paul Thomas Anderson movies, Oliver Stone movies, you name it. One of the great cinematographers of all time. Uh, actually was shooting a movie in the same region 
but no country for old men was shooting, which is there will be blood. And mm-hmm. he was talking about his friend, um, his, his old buddy who now has his own podcast, Roger Deakins. And he was just going, they were shooting the breeze about this, you know, contemporary action stuff where you've got multicam and you're, you know, you're cutting between hyper, hyper stylized editing, but you're cutting between like lots of cameras that are moving at the same time. And Ellswit, um, you know, work with Oliver Stone. So he's not unfamiliar <laughs> with using like six cameras and cutting between them. And Roger Deakins is like, no, one camera compose the shot and that's it. <laughs> that's what you do. And, uh, and I, I think that that's what struck me in this movie is that the compositions and the stillness, they're not just, oh. they're not just flowery, artistic framing for the sake of it. They're just so deliberately and stunningly composed, just little streets to, to orient the characters. And then the happy accident of that amazing shot as Llewellyn is running across the, the prairie and in the background lightning strikes. It's, it's like, there's like two of my favorite shots ever have lightning strikes in the background. And this is one of them. The other one is in Miami Vice in the middle of a, yes. a rooftop conversation. Sonny goes, meanwhile, and in the background, this lightning strike happens, this thunder and the the sky lights up and you're like, how many takes did they do to get the lightning strike? You know, like how, how do they even, you know, how do they do it? But Llewellyn, especially in a mid action shot, you're running away and literally the movie is about a storm coming and there's a storm coming in the background. I'm just like, that is just like, talk about osmosis and, yeah, everything about this movie, every shot of this movie um, gets me. But I think the sh- I, what is an underrated shot in my mind is when Anton grabs that cop that picks him up on the side of the road and takes mm-hmm. him into the station at the beginning of the film and you see his, like, like primal, like, animalistic, yes. you know, uh, strangulation of this guy and eventual murder... The and face. You see, you, the face that he pulls and you see the flailing of their boots mm-hmm. and the leather striking the vinyl floor. I just am like, that is just one of the most gloriously composed, designed, executed, performed, terrifying shots that just says everyone is in trouble. Like everyone mm-hmm. in this movie is in so much trouble right from the beginning. He's sitting in a cop station. Usually that's like, we caught the bad guy. We can be relieved now. <laughs> um, and... It's he an, even says we have I have it under control. Got under control. Right after that. Yep. That I believe that they, they say, I believe he says in the book, uh, I mean it's it's an interior thought that uh when Anton Chigur takes this the the uh, handcuffs from behind him to in front of him that it was a move he had practiced many times. So that oh. he he was like, you know, this was just a thing that he would do, you know, in in anticipation of uh, getting arrested, how he got arrested, why he let this guy put cuffs on him is a different question that is, that is unanswered, but that's fine. There's, you know, um, uh, but, no but it, that's how terrifying he is that, uh, yep. that he just practices for this moment. And, <laughs> and then no doubt, no, no hesitation. It's, you know, he just walks right up to the guy and does it. It's, there's not like he doesn't stand behind him for a beat. It's just, and, and you love that he's out of focus. He, you just see his huge frame. And he just casually, and then he stands up and he's like, yeah, yeah, got it under control, Sheriff. Yeah, yeah. And then just, <laughs> just straight onto the floor. Yes. Oh, so brilliant. It's, um, I remember in Oz, because it came out in the States a little bit earlier, the buzz about 
Javier Bardem was instantaneous. It was like, this guy is going to be a, and this is the most boring for the record, the most boring fucking conversation in movies. And I'm sorry if you have to ply your wares and make your living at it, but the Oscar conversation, it's the mm. most boring. It's the, the most boring. I'm sorry. If you have horse if race, if you're a professional yeah. out there and you're doing it, love to your brother, like, or sister, mm-hmm. if you have to do it, you got to do it. I don't, uh, you know, if you're making a living for your family, do it. But if you're a punter, just don't talk to me. Okay. It's the mm-hmm. most boring shit of all time. Let's watch sports. That's what sports is for. Um, uh, I don't even watch the Oscars anymore. <laughs> no, it's, it's um, yeah, it's anyway, so we, we, we're going to move past it. But I just remember that people said that was an iconic performance instantaneously. It was massive and it needed to be recognized as this huge powerhouse performance. And then you get to the movie and you're like, yeah, he's amazing. And the movie is absolutely custom designed for him to excel. And he does in such a way that is so strange and so mm-hmm. unexpected. There's no, hu- there's no hugeness you expect with some of these Oscar performances that it's going to be really large and overstated and crazy. And Monologue it's, heavy. Yeah, yeah. But it's just completely mm-hmm. centered and utterly psychopathic. And then you see Josh Brolin and you're like, is he not also yeah. amazing? <laughs> and then you, see Tom, you see Tommy yeah. Lee Jones and you're like, is Tommy Lee Jones the best American actor? <laughs> like, is he ever, I don't know. Yes. Like, like just his One of face, them. the way in, in the scenes, especially that he has with Garrett Dillahunt in the cafe, when they're sort of like talking about different things and you're watching the emotion go on his face and he's just like t- tiny tones that he makes with like one eyebrow movement and a pursed mm-hmm. lip and a, and a furrow of a brow and then a thought. And I'm, I'm like, all of these guys are just. Woody Harrelson too. Woody Harrelson, Woody Harrelson. so good in this movie. Yes. I, I, compared I, to what? Compared, compared to, to what? what? <laughs> I love playing. the WH sound. Yes. Compared I, to what? So I, what? I, I feel like maybe we had this conversation we, when we, you know, did our, our film club conversation about this, but I really feel like we have not gotten as much out of Woody Harrelson as we could have that I feel like, you he's know, he's fucking amazing. He's fucking amazing. And, you know, I think, you know, maybe he blew some of his really great performances on movies that I love, but not everybody does like natural born killers. Um, you know, I will argue not to talk about true detective, in any meaningful way, but that he is the thing that carries that season one of, of true detective. Yeah. Uh, and he is the guy doing the work of keeping anything sane in that TV show yeah. um, uh, grounded so that, that Matthew McConaughey can spin off into space. But like that, Jordan, that I know you has a harder job. I know you mm-hmm. love when I bring in random uh, phrases that are Australian and sometimes sport related. We talked about farm strong recently mm-hmm. together and you're like, I like that. There's, um, a phrase in Australian rugby league that has been popularized by a group of guys who identify as punters and dribblers. So they dribble about sport, you know, bet on it and they dribble. And they say about forwards who do all the thankless work where they just run hard and get tackled hard and they just have to work hard all game. They call it truck and nut. Mm. You basically get the ball and you run and you do all the thankless shit that is so essential to how your team wins, but you never get any of the plaudits. And I feel like Woody Harrelson is trucking nut for that series. Like he is just, <laughs> he's doing all the story, like all the, and then you, you're allowed to have Rustin Cole. He delivers the rest of the series on a platter for Matt McConaughey because he's doing such hard work 
being that thankless shitbag character and just owning it and being amazing. But you, you don't get the movie without him. You, oh, sorry, uh, you don't get the show without him. He's he's incredible. And in yeah, this, it, he's just he's delicious. Well, and he's sitting across from Stephen Root. I mean, you just talk about like it's 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 a bottomless uh, cast. I do want to go back because I, I don't think I I had an earlier thought of things I noticed this time around, and I, and I brought up Garrett Dillahunt, but I didn't say uh, what it was that I think is his best line delivery isn't even a word; it's a laugh, and it's um, when Tom Bell, right? That's his, Ed yeah. Tom Bell, yeah. uh, is, is describing the serial killer couple in California. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. California and how you know it took a man being run out in a dog collar for anybody to notice it, it has that great line about i don't know why they tortured him maybe the tv yeah, was broke yeah. <laughs> um and then said you know nobody cared when they were digging graves in the backyard and uh garrett delahunt laughs and it's this like laughter of despair yeah. uh, at yeah. just like how awful the world is and all you can do is laugh it's such a good little like He's amazing. He, he's, yeah, more um, than one fracas. I like that one too. Yeah. <laughs> but he, you know, again, I think he's been later in his career slotted into comedy. I'm excited. He's uh, in the new season of Hightown. Um, oh, very un cool. Unfortunately, I wrote the single episode in the season that he did oh, not appear in. son of a bitch. Uh, which no. I'm very upset about. I, I wrote some stuff in other episodes, but my one credited thing that I did, uh, he, he's not in, which bums me out. But anyway. He's, you know, his, yeah. yeah, he's so amazing in this. And and then, you know, you can just run down the roster of there's not Kelly a bad McDonald. performance. Yeah, Kelly, Kelly McDonald and, and English, sorry, Scottish actor, Scottish, Scottish mm -hmm. actor 
doing the best accent work of anyone who's ever done an accent in a movie. It's like really people are like people are like, wait, that's the train spotting chick. You're like, yeah, it is. She's doing the best accent I've ever seen. Yeah. Like, it's just impossible. How did she do that? I have no idea how she did that. Oh, yeah. She's, she she's great. Yeah. I, I'm going to take you in the back and screw you. <laughs> Big talk. Big yeah. talk. She's the best. She's the best. Yeah. Um, I love that he never lies to his wife. Neither no. one, uh, both him and Ed Tom Bell, they don't want to lie to their wives. No, and so every time he asks, or every time Kelly McDonald's character asks Llewellyn a question, he tells her, you know, where'd you get the gun? At the get in place, you know, and <laughs> bag full of money, you know, satchel full of money. That'd be the and day. <laughs> yes. And so I love that neither one of them wants to lie to their wives. And I think that's a really uh, sweet thing about the movie that people don't I talk about. I love yeah. Ed Tom Bell's wife, Loretta, Tess Harper, who's amazing yes. as well. She's mm -hmm. phenomenal. Just a great character actor. She's in a million things. And she's like, no, don't get, like don't get hurt. Movies. I won't. Yeah. Da, da, da. And then the last line is, now don't kill anyone. And he looks at her and he goes, you say so. If and he, gets say in the, <laughs> he gets in the car. I was just like, oh, God. Um, I, I, can't get I, I cannot get enough of this movie. And this is the thing. I was trying to just figure the runtime because obviously someone who examines things sometimes incrementally um i get obsessed with how long things Blake, take never never but it's two hours and it feels like it's 15 minutes it it's miraculous and it's so still and so you would think that oh there might be a a, a, a pause a beat or something but even llewellyn like stalking across the border bridge where he's really badly hurt from the the um you know a couple of uh, glancing blows with uh, glass and, uh, and, yeah. and bullets coming after him, but particularly the one that like that, that pierced rib shot from the blown out uh, door lock. And I remember thinking, oh, this, I was trying to register the beats of the movie about, oh, is this a, a moment where it sort of slows down or it doesn't feel like it's moving? But even that scene is so insanely tense all the way to cross the border, even though you kind of feel like Anton's gone in the, he's in the wind he's he's done a Wayne grow and he's disappeared, um, into the blackness and, you know, he, he can hide in the shadows cause he is the shadows. Um, but then he stalks across the bridge and it just is so tense. And it's like, Oh my God, you'd lean into the screen. Like, is he going to make it? Is he going to get arrested? Like what's going to happen? And I, I, that's another minor miracle of this movie is that despite how deliberate everything is it's so well paced that it just moves even when it's someone stalking around a car park and how how slowly anton uses the little the little transponder to like beep, 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 and like find the right room and go back and forth it's just i love also the pacing of this movie so much everything about it the I scene you just mentioned with the bridge and uh the boys I had never noticed this time that the the nice one in the group who's like, you know, just give them the beer or the nice one actually looks like the nice kid at the end of mm. the movie. They are almost like a younger version yeah. of the same guy. And I think <laughs> the shirt even was similar or uh, there was a lot in those two scenes that I was realizing were parallel this time that I guess I hadn't put together before with 
Anton in the car crash and then Brolin also the line you know were you in a car accident <laughs> yeah nice. and it's like oh later that guy is yeah i did notice there were two shots uh shots of both of them taking their socks off yeah uh, yeah um just uh and doing just, diy surgery both yeah. of them do yes. their di- great diy surgery scenes in this this is a this is something i noticed this time and this is taking this attack a little far maybe but i really was thinking about uh the vietnam war yeah. a lot while watching this one because it comes up you know this is a period piece and um the vietnam war comes up several times and the fact that uh llewellyn was a uh, a soldier for two tours in vietnam and yes. the entire thesis of the movie or at least from ed tom who is a reactionary and has a ridiculous conversation with the other sheriff about how the world's falling apart they got green hair stop saying sir and ma'am uh, about this idea that there's some invading evil force that cannot be comprehended and comes in and just sweeps everything out of the way. And that these men are presented as like a alternative to that or a bulwark against that. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, if you were to film a Vietnam movie from the point of view of a Vietnamese person, that, <laughs> yeah, you know, yes. the tables would be completely turned and that the, this invasion out of nowhere of this unstoppable implacable force that cannot be reckoned with cannot be stopped and is coming you know uh, for them i don't know i just i thought it was really interesting and i i don't know you know exactly where Cormac mccarthy would come down on something like that but i i think you know his position of america as as an agent of war is is very well established and, and oh yeah um you know i don't know i just thought that Llewellyn even gets back in the country because of the fact that he went to Vietnam and and suddenly is respected by this border guy who, you know, is is maintaining our borders. But if somebody else, you know, went overseas and did something, then great, bring him back in. I think you're yep. I think you're spot on. I've always thought of it as um, he uses Vietnam as like we are we're such an international force and we are caring about our colonial footprint but the thing that we're ignoring is the war that's on our border like the most important border in the united states is this southern border where on one side of the fence we seem to have laws and we seem to have these things and yet on the other side of the fence even though it's not lawless but it's like the conflict of these two cultures bashing against each other really the same you know, the same kind of people, people that came from Europe predominantly took over indigenous populations incorporated them into their worlds and the conflicts of their cultural differences that are right there. And, and again, you know, people, people who might look at the United States and go, yeah, well, we're a bastion of, uh, democratic values we put couldn't possibly be as corrupt as the mexican government and their ingratiation with the cartels it's like oh maybe you guys have got better publicists but it's all the same shit (laughs) like it's all and i I think that that border town conflict is always like we should stop it's i I think it's his way of again this movie is very interior i've always thought of it as like the way that he interiorized like you have to look at home this is look at this is our war at home this is our war with ourselves Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't think he otherizes the cartel stuff. He's just like, this is the actual war. This is the conflict. This is the, the, the place that we should be focusing our attention, not militarily, but like, why is that? Why are we killing each other for these drugs? Like right here at the border? Like, because it's not, it's not like the cartels don't have customers in the United States. That's the point. 
the point <laughs> is that there's all this fighting and things and we're just deflecting all of our need for drugs and all the things that we're consuming and we're allowing a war to be taken place on our borderlands for our satisfaction, I guess. The other thing that always um, kind of fascinates me when I watch, I think what you guys were saying was was brilliant and spot on for sure with Vietnam and what it's saying about the cartels and um, you know the, the war on drugs and all of that. But I'm always fascinated by the idea of free will versus fate. Yeah. And what this movie is saying, you know, you can't stop what's coming. And then there's the question of, you know, is it a flip of the coin or is it really the person deciding what happens with the flip of the coin? Was that car going to crash into him anyway? You know, there are so many different questions that come into this movie. I think uh, this would be when I was going to film school, there was a really cool unit in one of my classes on foreign film on existentialism. And we would watch movies like, you know, Three Colors Red and ask questions about free will versus fate. And I think this movie would be a fascinating one because you had to write a paper after to sort of like, what do you think this film is saying? And I think you could argue it either way. And I love that. Yeah, I agree. I do think, you know, Llewellyn particularly is somebody who, to me, is choosing what happens a lot more than he lets on. Yeah. And wants what ha is happening to happen a lot more than he lets on. Yes. And it only goes awry when he realizes he's not going to get what he thinks he should get out of it, which is a showdown, mm -hmm. um, you know, a fair fight, um, you know, that he makes a lot of choices. I don't know. He's if owed a bit. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, uh, and he deserve doesn't, it. Yes. But he also, he doesn't care about the money. I really don't no, think he does. I think it's just, you know, I found it and this is what we're doing. And this is my decision now and I'm following it through. Yeah. Right. And his decision to keep going ahead when there were a lot of opportunities for him. Oh, yeah. Not to so go many. ahead. Yeah. Um, it never really occurred to me before that because it's, he plays it so matter of factly when he leaves a wounded man to die um yes and and then later on goes to give him water and you're supposed to i think you kind of go oh good he it turns out he's a good guy he's going to give this guy water 10 hours but, later yeah but he could have just at that moment said well here's a living human being who needs uh help and <laughs> walk that guy yeah, to yep. the hospital yeah. and he does not do that he goes and chases after the money and he might have sealed his death warrant right there a little bit if you're talking about karma yeah 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 and, or and, and after and, he goes hunting or after a, he's yeah, in the war and or a, what is what a, is being said it's a missed shot he misses mm -hmm. the shot and it's only when yes. he sees the convergence of the two blood smears mm -hmm. he's like mm -hmm. one's dry one's fresh and he looks over and sees that dog hobbling away and, and not just a, a dog but like and the coen brothers are not very heavy-handed in this movie but it is a black dog like yeah. that is a, that is a symbol. That is a symbol that means do not, do not involve yourself <laughs> yeah. with mm -hmm. this. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And then he goes and finds Ultima Ombre. <laughs> Ultima Ombre. Where's the last man There must standing? have been one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, you know, I was just, I didn't reread the book, uh, you know, in, in anticipation of this, but I was thinking about it. And so my memories might be a little faulty, but, you know, I was thinking about things that get left out. Um, you know, he, Anton Chigurh in the book is much more business-minded than oh. he is in this and, and doesn't just come in to kill Stephen Root 
uh, for revenge, but goes in to like say, I'm going to be your like branch manager of the cartel at this point. Like I, it's like a takeover play, um, which like he, he, so he's actually actively gathering power instead of just chasing the money, which again, there's never any point where you think Anton Sugar wants $2 million so he can become the character from the counselor. Like, I don't think like that's <laughs> what is being and suggested. get himself a tiger or something. Yes. He, he comes off as more supernatural in the film uh, and more yeah. like, uh, more like Judge Holden from Blood Meridian. Yeah. Uh, then different point in time complete with the haircut yeah yeah yeah. um and uh but i don't know so i thought that was an interesting and and, uh, correct choice to kind of up the he's not quite supernatural again like judge holden he sure doesn't seem human but there's never anything that you could point at and say see this proves that he's not human but um he's clearly Mm -hmm. a force um oh yeah but he and llewellyn are in it for the match that's what's yeah. so interesting. That, like, Llewellyn is like the fact that he's being tested. That's what's a thing that really gets me with this movie is that they're like, you know, even though Ed Tom Bell's like, I feel overmatched, um, he's not overmatched. He maybe is a slower step, but he's, his thinking is so exactly right that he's the only one that even gets close to Anton. Like, actually, they're a doorway. They're a they're a, a shitty, cheap wooden doorway away from each other. Looking at the internal socket reflections of one another at the end of this movie before he goes and checks Llewellyn's room, and they almost both have to agree not to com- to have a confrontation at that moment because they both can fe- not only can they feel they can sort of see this abstraction of one another, this abstract reflection of one another right there, and the fact that he's lost a step is the only reason that he doesn't keep going, but it's the fact that he gets chased down and Llewellyn lasts. It's like, he's, he's fulfilling something that's been vacant in his life of like the chase, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, whenever I see, whenever I watch this movie again, I'm like, as soon as Llewellyn is in this situation, it kind of awakens something that is very, you know, to your point about Vietnam, Jordan, it's very interesting. It's like he was living his highest in his mind, his highest form of existence at that time, you know, maybe in Vietnam reflectively. Yeah. Like a mission. Mm -hmm. And when he encounters Anton, it's a very formidable mission. He has to be operating at such a high level that it's very interesting. And the same with Ed Tom Bell, like he's, you know, he's the guy with Garrett, Garrett Dillahunt's Wendell. Oh, Wendell um, is just like completely bewildered by everything. And Ed's like, no, we've got to go here and we've got to go there. And I don't need to go back out to that crime scene. We need to try and get ahead of this. And he doesn't have to say any of those things that are obvious um, in, in mm-hmm. that he, he it just, it happens. It's coming out of his pores, you know? Uh, you know, I have, uh, when I talk about this movie, I've come to find, I have a much more pessimistic reading of it than most people. And a lot of it for me, to jump ahead a little bit um, comes down to the very last line of the film, uh, which is also the very last line of the book, if I recall, um, where Ed Tom tells the story about the dream of his father and his father carrying the flame ahead and, and, you know, lighting the darkness. And it always seemed to me that to end that story with, and then I woke up, (laughs) <laughs> is to me like yes. this profound admission that 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 was a dream that was a lie there is no light being carried on in the darkness that, i agree with you yeah, yeah. um yeah 
And I've also always felt like a lot of that comes from the fact that he doesn't go and confront Shigur in that moment, that the, this is in fact no country for old men, that he is not capable and and like does not put his soul at, har- at hazard at the end of the day. And mm-hmm. it, the rest of the film, that like long, like a uh, long ending uh, after uh, the shootout, second hotel shootout, I guess you would say, um, third Good. third hotel shootout <laughs> yeah. of the film where Llewellyn dies and then um you know there's the, the long aftermath is is Ed Tom trying to reckon with the failures that he has and he goes and visits the old timer and he you know mm-hmm. uh you know uh fails to save Llewellyn's wife although he's not actively trying to do it he does also not do it you know um yeah he just promises he will not harm her man but yeah. he doesn't yeah that's what yeah. yeah um he tries but so i yeah i, I, I i'm glad to hear you, you agree with me jim because i've i've yeah ran into oh, a lot Jordan, of people I, who I, I read that too i yeah. don't know how you can't have like even if you had not quite all the way pessimistic it's just a pragmatic view of the world yes it's yeah. not, like it's not a that's what's that's what's refreshing it's refreshing pragmatism the world is not it doesn't owe you anything and if you think that someone's just going to come in and be the white hat and save you, that's not what this is. It's not what this yeah. is. Also, the the setting at 1980. Yeah, we're mm. done with Vietnam, but you know the sins of the past <laughs> and what's coming. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They just don't know that it's Ronald Reagan as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, it's it, it's really it's it's a uh, really really dark film and you know you talk about uh the jen the woman who uh who hated the film I, a lot of people did and i yes. think uh, how many of them hated it before Llewellyn died would be a question i would be interested in yeah yeah that would be interesting i know a lot of people were really angry about um the car crash with sugar i think mm. they wanted to see sugar pay for yeah you want to see perish and even i I love that even in that moment because that llewellyn death is one of the most shocking deaths ever in cinema for me especially the fact that it happens essentially off screen and you just see i think that's that's important that it happens off screen yeah which it essentially does in the book as well by the way it's not it's not portrayed in the book in fact i recall having to go back and read a paragraph twice going wait wait wait, what (laughs) what um but go ahead. I'm sorry. No, Anticlimactic just... showdown. Yeah. Yes. And th- so there, there's no showdown. And then when mm-hmm. Shigur does get hit by a car, it's almost like that's the funny Coen brothers. Mm-hmm. Like that he would actually die in that moment getting like clobbered by an old man who runs a red light. Because it is like then. But then he just gets up. Yep. And just walks on out of there. And you're yep. like. Just like Llewellyn. Just like Llewellyn. It's just like, okay. Well, but he, you know, except for that, he just really will never stop. Is the, no. is the message I think? You know, again, not to be reductive. You can take all comers, which yeah. is the line that <laughs> Kelly McDonald has. Yeah. But uh, you know, the the line at the end of Blood Meridian of, of uh, he's dancing and dancing, and they say that he is dancing still. I think is what you're supposed <laughs> to get out of Shigure at the end of that. Is that no? That's yeah. Bone poking out of arm. He's still going. He's gonna. Yep. Go the Energizer Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll he'll go and get that that compound fracture corrected, <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, and 
all will be well. Just blow up another car, start a distraction. I really yeah. don't want to see him do that DIY surgery. That would be too full on. I hope he goes yeah. to some form of veterinarian or something. You know, <laughs> some, someone to set a bone. Um, we don't have enough time. We don't have no. enough time to continue this conversation. So I'm going to, I'm going to pump the brakes here. People are going to get like 50 minutes of us talking. I'm going to arrange a follow-up because we didn't even, I feel like we didn't even scratch the surface and uh, I could talk about this movie with you guys forever. So we're going to have to pop, pump the brakes. We're going to have to let Jordan go back to writing. Um, his follow-up to everybody knows. I'm sorry to tell you that. We're going to have to go back to Jen producing uh, one of the best and most comprehensive podcast series uh, and uh, getting nags by me occasionally about a massive project that we're going to undertake together. Um, and uh, then we're going to have to come back and talk more about this movie because we, we haven't even talked about Carla Jean's mother. Um, oh. We haven't talked oh, about... Oh, wow. We haven't talked about... Less Manny. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't talked about uh, Sheriff I Bell's... am old. <laughs> They're in the bag, I am Mama. Not well, yeah. <laughs> it's not often you see a Mexican in a suit. We didn't even get to <laughs> that. So we have so much more to go, um, and we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back to talking about the dismal tide in another episode soon. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.